Chapter Twenty Eight of the Benefactress by Elizabeth von Arnim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Helen Taylor, Oxford, UK. His Herr von Treumann gone. It was late the same afternoon, and Princess Ludwig had come into the bedroom where the Stralsund doctor was still vainly endeavouring to bring the Baroness back to life to ask Anna whether she would see Axel Lohm, who was waiting downstairs and hoped to be allowed to speak to her. "'But is Herr von Treumann gone?' inquired Anna, and would not move till she was sure of that. "'Yes, and his mother has gone with him to the station.' Anna had not left the Baroness's side since the catastrophe. She could not see the unconscious face on the pillow for tears. Was there ever such barbarous, such gratuitous cruelty as young Treumann's? His mother had been in once or twice on tiptoe, the last time to tell Anna that he was leaving and would she not come down, so that he might explain how sorry he was for having unwittingly done so much mischief? But Anna had merely shaken her head, and turned again to the piteous little figure on the bed. Never again, she told herself, would she see or speak to Karlchen. The movement with which she turned away was expressive, and Frau von Treumann went out and heaped bitter reproaches on Karlchen, driving with him to Stralsund in order to have ample time to heap all that were in her mind, and doing it the more thoroughly that he was in a crushed condition, and altogether incapable of defending himself. For what had he really cared about the Baroness's relationship to Lolly? He had thought it a huge joke, and had looked forward with enjoyment to seeing Anna promptly order her out of the house. How could he, thick of skin and slow of brain, have foreseen such a crisis? He was very much in love with Anna, and shivered when he thought of the look she had given him as she followed the people who were carrying the Baroness out of the room. Certainly he was exceedingly wretched, and his mother could not reproach him more bitterly than he reproached himself. While she was vehemently pointing out the obvious, he meditated sadly on the length of the journey he had taken for worse than nothing. All the morning he had been roasted in trains and he was about to be roasted again for a dreary succession of hours. His hot uniform, put on solely for Anna's bedazzlement, added enormously to his torments, and the distance between Rizla and Stralsund was great, and the journey proportionately expensive, much too expensive, if all you got for it was one intoxicating glimpse of dimples, followed by a flashing look of wrath that made you feel cold with the thermometer at ninety. He had not felt so dejected since the eighties, he reflected, in which dark ages he had been forced to fight a duel. Karlchen had a prejudice against duelling, he thought it foolish, but being an officer—he was at that time a conspicuously gay lieutenant—whatever he might think about it, if any one wanted to fight him, fight he must, or drop into the awful ranks of unknowables. He had made a joke of a personal nature and the other man turned out to have no sense of humour, and took it seriously, and expressed a desire for Karlchen's blood. Driving with his justly incensed mother through the dust and heat to the station, he remembered the dismal night he had passed before the duel, and thought how much his dejection then had resembled in its profundity his dejection now. For he had been afraid he was going to be hurt, and whatever people may say about courage, nobody really likes being hurt. Well, perhaps after all this business with Anna would turn out all right, just as that business had turned out all right, for he had killed his man, and instead of wounds had been covered with glory. Thus Karlchen endeavoured to snatch comfort as he drove, 
but yet his heart was very heavy. "'I hope,' said his mother bitingly when he was in the train, patiently waiting to be taken beyond the sound of her voice, "'I do hope that you are ashamed of yourself. It is a bitter feeling, I can tell you, the feeling that one is the mother of a fool.' To which Karlchen, still dazed, replied by unhooking his collar, wiping his face, and appealing with a heart-rending plaintiveness to a passing beer-boy to give him um Gottes Willen beer. Axel was in the drawing-room, where the remains of Karlchen's valedictory coffee and cakes were littered on a table when Anna came down. "'I am so sorry for you,' he said. "'Princess Ludwig has been telling me of what has happened.' "'Don't be sorry for me. Nothing is the matter with me. Be sorry for that most unfortunate little soul upstairs.' Axel kissed Anna's right hand, which was, she knew, the custom, and immediately proceeded to kiss her other hand, which was not the custom at all. She was looking woe-begone, with red eyelids and white cheeks, but a faint colour came into her face at this, for he did it with such unmistakable devotion, that for the first time she wondered uneasily whether their pleasant friendship were not about to come to an end. "'Don't be too kind,' she said, drawing her hands away and trying to smile. "'I—I I feel so stupid to-day, and want to cry dreadfully.' "'Well, then, I should do it and get it over.' "'I did do it, but I haven't got it over. Well, don't think of it. How is the Baroness?' "'Just the same. The doctor thinks it's serious, and she has no constitution. She has not had enough of anything for years, not enough food or clothes or—or or, or anything.' She went quickly across to the coffee-table to hide how much she wanted to cry. "'Have some coffee?' she said with her back to him, moving the cups aimlessly about. "'Don't forget,' said Axel, "'that the poor lady's past misery is over now and done with. Think what luck has come her way at last. When she gets over this, here she is, safe with you, surrounded by love and care and tenderness. Blessings not given to all of us.' "'But she doesn't like love and care and tenderness.' "'At least if it comes from me, she dislikes me.' Axel could not exclaim in surprise, for he was not surprised. The Baroness had appeared to him to be so hopelessly sour. And how, he thought, shall the hopelessly sour love the preternaturally sweet? He looked, therefore, at Anna, arranging the cups with restless, nervous fingers, and waited for more. "'Why do you say that?' she asked, still with her back to him. "'Say what?' "'that when she gets over this she will have all those nice things surrounding her. "'You told me when first she came that if she really were the poor dancing woman's sister "'I ought on no account to keep her here. Don't you remember?' "'Quite well. But am I not right in supposing that you will keep her? "'You see, I know you better now than I did then. "'If she liked being here, if it made her happy, I would keep her in defiance of the whole world. "'But as it is—' She came to him with a cup of cold coffee in her hands. He took it and stirred it mechanically. "'As it is,' she said, "'she is very ill, and has to get well again before we begin to decide things. Perhaps,' she added, looking up at him wistfully, "'this illness will change her.' He shook his head. "'I'm afraid it won't,' he said. "'For a little while, perhaps. For a few weeks at first, while she still remembers your nursing. And then, why, the old self over again.' He put the untasted coffee down on the nearest table. "'There is no getting away,' he said, coming back to her, from one's old self. "'That is why this work you have undertaken is so hopeless.' "'Hopeless!' 
she exclaimed in a startled voice. He was saying aloud what she had more than once almost, never quite, whispered in her heart of hearts. "'You ought to have begun with the Baroness thirty years ago, to have had a chance of success.' "'Why, she was five years old then, and I am sure quite cheerful, and I wasn't there at all.' Five ought really to be the average age of the chosen. What is the use of picking out unhappy persons, well on in life, and thinking you are going to make them happy? How can you make them be happy? If it had been possible to their natures, they would have been so long ago, however poor they were. And they would not have been so poor or so unhappy if they had been willing to work. Work is such an admirable tonic. The princess works and finds life very tolerable. You will never succeed with people like Frau von Treumann and the Baroness. They belong to a class of persons that will grumble even in heaven. You could easily make those who are happy already still happier, for it is in them. The gratitude and appreciation for life and its blessings. But those, of course, are not the people you want to get at. You think I am preaching? he asked abruptly. But are you not? It is because I cannot stand by and watch you bruising yourself. Oh, said Anna, you are a man, and can fight your way well enough through life. You are quite comfortable and prosperous. How can you sympathise with women like Elsa? Because she is not young, you haven't a feeling for her, only indifference. You talk of my bruising myself. You don't mind her bruises. And if I were forty, how sure I am that you wouldn't mind mine. Yes, I would, said Axel, with such conviction that she added quickly, Well, I don't want to talk about bruises. I hope the Baroness will soon get over the cruel ones that singularly brutal young man has inflicted. You agree with me that he is a singularly brutal young man? Absolutely. And I hope that when she is well again you will make her as happy as she is capable of being. If I knew how. Why, by letting her go away, and giving her enough to live on decently by herself, it would be quite the best course to take, both for you and for her. Anna looked down. I've been thinking the same thing, she said in a low voice. She felt as though she were hauling down her flag. Perhaps you will let me help. Help? Let me contribute. Why may I not be charitable too? If we join together it will be to her advantage, she need not know, and you are not a millionaire. Nor are you, said Anna, smiling up at him. We unfortunates who live by our potatoes are never millionaires, but still we can be charitable. But why should you help the Baroness? I found her out and brought her here, and I am the only person responsible for her. It will be much more costly than just having her here. I don't mind if only she is happy, and I will not have you pay the cost of my experiments in philanthropy. Is Frau von Treumann happy? he asked abruptly. No, said Anna with a faint smile. Is Fräulein Kuhrhaber happy? No. Tell me one thing more, he said. Are you happy? Anna blushed. That is a queer question, she said. Why should I not be happy? But are you? She looked at him, hesitating, then she said in a very small voice, No. Axel took two or three turns up and down the room. I knew it, he said, and added something in German under his breath about Weiber. After this you will not, I suppose, receive young Treumann again, he asked, coming to a halt in front of her. Never again. You have a difficult time before you, then, with his mother. Anna blushed. I'm afraid I have, she admitted. You have a very difficult few weeks before you, he said. 
the baroness probably dangerously ill, and Frau von Treumann very angry with you. I know Princess Ludwig does all she can, but still you are alone. Against odds. The odds, too, were greater than she knew. All day he had been officially engaged in making inquiries into the origin of the fire the night before, and every circumstance pointed to Klutz as the culprit. He had sent for Klutz, and Klutz, they said, had gone home. Then he sent a telegram after him, and his father replied that he was neither expecting his son, nor was he ill. Klutz then had disappeared in order to avoid the consequences of what he had done, but it was only a question of days before the police brought him back again, and then he would tell the whole absurd story, and Pomerania would chuckle at Anna's expense. The thought of this chuckling made Axel cold with rage. He stood looking out of the window at the parched garden, the drooping lilac bushes, the hazy island across the water. The wind had dropped, and a grey film had drawn across the sky. At the bottom of the garden, under a chestnut tree, Miss Leech was sewing while Letty read aloud to her. The monotonous drone of Letty's reading, interrupted by her loud complaints each time a mosquito stung her, reached Axel's ears as he stood there in silence. A grim struggle was going on within him. He loved Anna with a passion that would no longer be hidden, and he knew that he must somehow hide it. He was so certain that she did not care about him, he was so certain that she would never dream of marrying him, and yet if ever a woman needed the protection of an all-enfolding love, it was Anna at that moment. "'That child down there has made a pretty fair amount of mischief for a person of her age.' He burst out with a vehemence that startled Anna. "'What child?' she said, coming up behind him, and looking over his shoulder. He turned round quickly. The feeling that she was so close to him tore away the last shred of his self-control. "'You know that I love you,' he said, his voice shaking with passion. Her face in an instant was colourless. She stood quite still, almost touching him as though she did not dare move. Her eyes were fixed on his with a frightened, fascinated look. "'You know it. You've known it for a long time. Now what are you going to say to me?' She looked at him without speaking, or moving. "'Anna, what are you going to say to me?' he cried, and he caught up her hands and kissed them, one after the other, hardly knowing what he did, beside himself with love of her. She watched him helplessly. She felt faint and sick. She had had a miserable day, and was completely overwhelmed by this last misfortune. Her good friend Axel was gone, gone for ever. This pleasant friendship was done. In place of the friend she so much needed, of the friendship she had found so comforting, there was this. "'Won't you, won't you let my hands go?' she said faintly. She did not know him again. Was it possible that this agony of love was for her? She knew herself so well, she knew so well what it was for which he was evidently going to break his heart. How wonderful, how pitiful beyond expression, that a good man like Axel should suffer anything because of her! And even in the midst of her fright and misery, the thought would not be put from her that if she had happened to look like the Baroness or Fräulein Kurauber, while inwardly remaining exactly as she was, he would not have broken his heart for her. "'Oh, let me go,' she whispered, and turned her head aside and shut her eyes, unable to look any longer at the love and despair in his. But what 
are you going to say to me oh you know you know but you are always so sorry for the people who suffer oh stop oh stop no i won't stop here i have been condemned to look on at you lavishing love on people who don't want it don't like it are wearied by it who don't know how precious it is how priceless it is and how i am hungering and thirsting oh starving starving for one drop of it his voice shook and he fell once more to covering her hands with kisses that seemed to scorch her soul this was very dreadful her soul had never been scorched before something must be done to stop him she could not stand there with her eyes shut and her hands being kissed for ever please let me go she entreated faintly and in her helplessness began to cry he instantly released her and she stood before him crying what a horrible thing it was to lose her friend to be forced to hurt him i never dreamt that you that you she wept what that i loved you he asked incredulously but more gently subdued by her deep distress his face grew very hopeless she was crying because she was sorry for him i don't know i think i did dream that lately once or twice but i i never dreamt that it was so bad that you were such a such a volcano oh axel why are you such a volcano she cried looking up at him the tears rolling down her cheeks why have you spoilt everything it was so nice before we were such friends and now how can i be friends with the volcano anna if you make fun of me oh no 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 as though i would as though i could do anything so unutterable but don't let us be tragic don't let us be tragic you know my plans you know my plans inside out from beginning to end how can i how can i marry anybody good god those women those women who are not happy who have spoilt your happiness they are to spoil mine now ours anna he seized her arm as though he would wake her at all costs from a fatal sleep do you mean to say that if it were not for those women you would be my wife oh if only you wouldn't be tragic do you mean to say that that is the reason oh isn't it sufficient no if you cared for me it would be no reason at all she cried bitterly but i don't she sobbed not like that not in that way it is atrocious of me not to i know how good you are how kind how how everything and still i don't i don't know why i don't but i don't oh axel i am so sorry don't look so wretched i can't bear it but what can it matter to you how i look if you don't care about me <laughs> sobbed anna wringing her hands he caught hold of her wrist see here anna look at me but she would not look at him look at me i don't believe you know your own mind i want to see into your eyes they were always honest look at me but she would not look at him surely you will do that only that for me there isn't anything to see she wept there really isn't it's dreadful of me but i can't help it well but look at me oh axel what is the use of looking at you she cried in despair and pulled her handkerchief away and did it he searched her face for a moment in silence as though he thought that if only he could read her soul he might understand it better than she did herself those dear eyes they were full of pity full of distress but search as he might he could find nothing else 
he turned away without a word. "'Don't, don't be tragic,' she begged, anxiously following him a few steps. "'If only you are not tragic, we shall still be able to be friends.' But he did not look around. A servant with a tray was outside, coming in to take the coffee away. "'Oh!' exclaimed Anna, seeing that it was impossible to hide her tear-stained face from the girl's calm scrutiny. "'Oh, Johanna, the poor Baroness! She is so ill, it is so dreadful!' And she dropped into a chair and hid herself in the cushions, weeping hysterically with an abandonment of woe that betokened a quite extraordinary affection for the Baroness. "'God, the armor Baroness!' sympathised Johanna perfunctorily. To herself she remarked, this very moment has the miss refused to marry Gnadige Herr. End of chapter 28